Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to the Modern Adventurer podcast, where explorers and adventurers tell their stories. Coming up. And the most important point, I would say, is that you uh, recognize the, that you have a crisis. And on that point, when you recognize, then it's over. But this is the sensitive thing that you, that you really have to step out of your mind and to look from above and to see, oh, she has a crisis, come on, wake up. And then you can perform in your 100% level when, you, when you're not, when you're in the crisis, you are maybe 60, 70% and you are fighting against, oh, what is that today? Why can't I run in my pace? Oh, everything is so boring here. Oh, why am I doing it? All this mindset, what's going on there? And when you're listening um, with a good attention and awareness to these thoughts, this you have to train actually. Um, then you can stop it before it goes into the circle down, 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 down. If you haven't already, please subscribe. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please leave a review if you've enjoyed the show so far. I'm John Horsfall, and on this weekly podcast, I talk to adventurers and explorers from around the world who have made remarkable and daring journeys in recent years. From Everest climbers to polar explorers, world record holders, and many more. I hope this podcast sparks ideas and inspires you to explore and go on an adventure of your own. But what is left for the adventurers and explorers in the 21st century? Well, let's find out. My next guest is an ultra trail runner and big adventurer. She has covered quite a wide range of the world from discovering this thing called the Four Deserts quite a number of years ago. She suddenly decided to pursue it and became the first German and female to win the competition. On the podcast today, we talk about some of her incredible experiences and delve in deep into the sort of psychology of this sort of ultra running. We talk about the sort of mindset in which you need to sort of pursue and break through the sort of pain barrier when times get tough. And she gives some incredible advice on the podcast today about how to sort of focus your mind so that you can push through on these endurance events. So I'm delighted to introduce Anne-Marie Flammersfeld to the podcast. Yeah, thanks a lot. Thank you. Well, it's absolutely great to have you on and I cannot thank you enough for coming on today. I am so interested to sort of delve into the sort of psychology of this ultra running that you do. But as always, I always like to start at the beginning. So how did this all start for you? Actually, it was, um, it was really just a chance. Um, I, was, I was not a runner before I met a person while doing just a simple holiday trip in South America. 
And uh, there I met Gunnar from Norway and uh, while doing a horseback trekking uh, through, through the jungle and the forests of Ushuaia at the end of the world. And Gunnar then told me um, something about that he's going to the Antarctic some days later. And I said, okay, what are you doing there? Some whale watching and... And he said, no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm doing a race, the four desert race, the 250 kilometers to the coldest desert on earth. You have to carry everything by yourself. And I just <laughs> looked at him and said, what is he talking about? I had actually no idea that there is a longer distance you can run as a competition or as a race uh, than, than a marathon. And um, so at that moment, I, I, I thought, okay, that sounds really, really cool. Maybe when I'm at home, I, I do some research, but uh, I, at, at that moment, I didn't know what was coming in my future. So that was sort of how it all sort of kicked off. The, it was just by pure chance, someone had sort of re- said they're going to Antarctica and then sort of the research started taking place and away you went. Yes, definitely. I, I, I ran two marathons before I was a little bit into this running scene, but I was definitely not infected with that running virus at that moment. And I, I was going for a run or for a jog, yeah, just to, to move a little bit around, but not to run distances longer than uh, 50, 60 kilometers. Yeah. Wow. And I suppose when when this sort of all started because i like like you say it does take a while to get that running bug or the running virus so from the process of doing those two marathons what made you what was the sort of kick that sort of made you jump into doing the four deserts or these big ultra endurance races Wow, good question. I, I haven't figured out yet. <laughs> um, but I can tell you that at that moment when, when Gunnar told me about this name, Racing the Planet for Deserts, that there was a kind of a flame popping out of me. Uh, and I, I, I felt this enthusiasm at the moment to do something what I've never done before and never dreamt about doing it. So, but at that moment, there was something, I think... Um, uh, when you when you go around in the world with open eyes and an open heart, then things can come to you. And that that was that moment uh, I I had at that time. And um, so when I was at home, I, I did this research and I saw that you can run through four deserts each 250 kilometers. You self supported. Everything is in your backpack. The organizer just gives you a tent where you have to sleep with 10 people in and uh, no shower, no hotel, no, no chef. You have to cook your own things. You have to carry everything what you, what you want to have during seven days and you have to carry it in your backpack. And yeah, so I, 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 I thought a lot about if I want to do it. And then I saw that you can do four in one year or all four in one year to, to get into this grand slam club. And then I looked at this club and there was no German at that moment. There were only seven people and no one from Germany. And I said, okay, I will do it. <laughs> I, will, I will bring the flag into the, the German national flag into this club. And okay, I will do it. And then it was April and I started with the training for the first race. What was in um, March, actually, the next year. So I had oh, 10 months, 11 months of training, actually, <laughs> to prepare to prepare. 
And in terms of the training for that, uh, were you based up in the mountains where you are now or were you more at sea level? Because I, I imagine at uh, in up in the mountains at altitude was probably a much uh, better sort of fitness uh, than you would have at sea level for something like this. Definitely, yeah. Uh, well, I, I, I'm born in Germany and very flat. It's more or less under zero. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> Uh, in 2006, I moved to Switzerland, and uh, I'm I'm really adapted to this altitude here at 1,800 meters. And of course, I have benefits when I go down and have a race at sea level. But uh, the training on altitude is more exhausting because I I can adapt to 90%, 95% of the sea level, but there's still these five to ten percent leak, um, leaking um, um, that I can't get into the same performance how I can do at sea level so it is a harder training here and everybody who, who was in on altitude and wanted to train there in the normal speed or normal kilometers per hour knows that it's suffering of oxygen yeah but yeah. of course when you go down then you have the benefits yeah so with that, you had 10 months sort of training and the first one of these four desert races, where is it for people who don't know from the podcast? Yeah, it is in, uh, in Chile, in the Atacama Desert, the driest desert on earth. And then the second one is in, uh, in China, in the Gobi Desert. It's the windiest desert. The third one in um, the Sahara in Egypt, the hottest desert. And then three weeks later, um, the coldest desert in the Antarctic. So you, set, you certainly get your uh, fair, fair, fair share of extremes there. Yeah, yeah, it is. Just, yeah, I don't know. It's just, yeah, it was really extreme idea to, to do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and with that, um, they all take place over the year. How did you find the sort of adapting from the driest to move to suddenly the windiest? Um, yeah, well, uh, actually it was, um, every desert was really, really beautiful and, and nice. And every desert was unique, actually. And um, to go from the driest to the windiest desert, um, yeah, it was tough, but um, it was not so tough as to go from the hottest to the coldest um, because there were only three weeks in between. And, um, and from the, from the uh, driest to the windiest, there were, was at least uh, nine weeks in between. So I, I was changing back to normal and then I went to the windiest. But it was quite tough in the Gobi Desert to, to run always against the wind. Always. <laughs> Sometimes it came from the back, but normally it was coming from the front. And um, yeah, you had to deal with it. There was no other choice. Um, you could have sit down and wait for something better, but at least no one was coming. You had to do it by yourself. There was no one who was putting away the wind or the heat or, or anything else. It was just you and your, your mental um, your mental thoughts, what was the driving force? How can I say? Yeah. I'm not sure whereabouts in the Gobi Desert it takes place, but we had Ash Dykes on the podcast um, last year and he sort of talked about his 
a walk or trek across the Gobi Desert and said that you at moments you have just complete silence and it's one of the quietest places on earth so much so that you can just hear yourself almost breathe well not breathe uh sorry your heartbeat you can hear your body functioning let's say yeah definitely in all the three desert it was I, I, I'm, I'm I'm the same I'm uh I felt the same uh, in the Antarctic. It was quite noisy sometimes from the penguins. They were making a lot of noises there. Um, but I mean, in the Atacama Desert, when you go out and you you have the most beautiful night sky with the stars there, and you you think you can grab the stars just when you lift up your your arm and. Um, it was really really impressive and yeah the silence the nature the atmosphere to be in a place where actually not a human being can survive a long time because there is nothing no water no shade um there's wind this is really unreal conditions and you have to run to get further <laughs> <laughs> So with that, I mean, your backgrounds in sort of sports science, sports psychology, was that key in terms of pushing through, in terms of training your mind to sort of go through this sort of suffering, let's say, and being able to cope in such extreme conditions? Yeah, of course. I that at the more at the, when I started to train, I I wanted to prove that what I've learned at the university, at the sports university, um, if it is uh, if I can do it in reality or if it's just a theory. And um, so I have these these background of all these uh, training science and sports science, and so I, I I wrote my training schedule for myself and. Um, very flexible because I'm a person I, I I'm not stuck into today I have to do 20 tomorrow I have to do 10 dun, 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 dun. I, I know that what I want to do but I, I look around in my mind which trail today uh, fits for me good or suits to me or which one I like maybe I today I run 20 kilometers um, and I think okay where do I want to go today what is fun for me and and then I, I started and then on the next day I say okay today maybe it's better when I do a shorter one okay where can I go maybe I run up on that mountain and then go down something like this that's the sort of psychology of it it's about finding something fun while training to do it yeah for me um, I, I would say it, it was the right um, schedule and uh, this is what I would recommend uh, to everybody who wants to do something like this um, first the the most important thing is that you really like to do uh, that you really like what you do that you have fun what you do that you enjoy what you do when when it's not, then it's every day, every time it's suffering and, and then you don't like it and then you are working against it and it costs a lot of energy. And it is better when you start a project totally, you don't have to run a marathon. It's just also a, a profession when your job or a project, it is, you really have to enjoy what you do. This is my, my what I really, this is my mission actually, what, what I am. And yeah, the, the second thing is, of course, you need to improve your fitness to get better step by step by step. And 
and I was listening to my body a lot. And, and when I felt there's a pain, maybe in my knee, then I stopped the training a little bit. And then I went to the physio. Then I increased the kilometers per week a little bit more. And when I saw that it was going on quite well, I was going on. And it is a sensitive mixture of what you want to do and what you can do. And when you don't listen to your body, then I think you, you can't perform in, in a good way. Wow. And yeah, I suppose with that, for people listening, it's um, when you were going through, let's say the Gobi Desert, having the wind in your face, was there enjoyment still there? <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> sometimes not. I'm honest. And I was honest in, in that always when I suffered. And of course, um, it is allowed to suffer. And uh, it can't be every day 100% smiling and positive energy. There are crises, but um, I, I found out that the crisis can come and it can stay for one hour or for three hours, four hours. And it is, yeah, it's a very, very bad feeling, but the crisis will go some, some moment. It, it will go over. And um, this is a fact, I would say. This is the crisis come and the crisis go. Boom. I would say, <laughs> and um, and the most important point I would say is that you uh, recognize the that you have a crisis, and on that point when you recognize, then it's over. But this is the sensitive thing that you that you really have to step out of your mind and to look from above and to see, oh, she has a crisis. Come on, wake up, and then you can perform in your hundred percent level when you when you're not when you are in the crisis you are maybe 60 70 percent and you are fighting against oh what is that today why can't i run in my pace oh everything is so boring here oh, why am i doing it all this mindset what's going on then when you're listening um with a good attention and awareness to these thoughts this you have to train actually um then you can stop it before it goes into the circle down 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 yeah, I would explain it a little bit in that way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the idea is that when you're doing these sort of trips or these expeditions or races, the idea is when you start to feel suffering, you have to recognize that you are suffering. Was that one of the things, you, one of the main things you were sort of taught in sports science, sports psychology? And then from there, you can acknowledge that this is only temporary and that you can sort of move forward from there. Yeah. This is one method. Actually, there are quite a lot of things you can do. Also, for example, to work with um, pictures in your mind that you imagine something, what, what helps you, for example, um, you have to create a picture from a place you really like where you feel that there is a lot of positive energy where you can relax. It could be, I don't know, a place in the nature, at a little lake or at the sea or wherever. It, it must be something where you can relax and where you, where you are really positive. And then in that moment, you can just imagine that picture and then all the positive energy is going from the picture to your body. And then you feel, ah, everything is fine. I am, 
I'm at my place where I can relax. And then you, you still can run with this picture in your mind. And it helps a lot to, to, to overcome a crisis. So that was one of your main coping mechanisms when these sort of four desert races sort of put you into the extreme. Yeah, I, I trained these uh, pictures, uh, the visualization, we call it, and uh, with a mental coach, with a friend of mine, and we did some uh, hypnosis, uh, sports hypnosis, where I was forced to do, uh, to create pictures. Uh, and for example, my, my biggest concern was that um, I, how would it be when I'm in this heat, in these extreme uh, hot deserts, because I, I live here in the Swiss Alps and I normally have six months of winter with temperatures between minus 20 to uh, yeah, uh, minus 10. Um, and then the summer, is it's warmer, but uh, we have maybe between 15 and 20 degrees. So it's not 30 to 40 degrees. And then I, uh, my mental trainer, she said to me I, that I have to create a picture what cools me down. And so for that case that I was running in the hottest desert and that I was not able to deal with the heat, I, my picture was that I would imagine to run through an ice cold snowstorm and that I have to feel the snow on my skin, that I hear the snow cracking underneath my feet, that I smelled the snow. So I, I worked this picture with all my five senses and then I put it into my mental box. And uh, when I was, for example, in the Sahara, in the hottest desert, and it was extremely warm and uh, hot. I remembered my picture and then um, it worked. And I even got a chicken skin uh, from, from cooling down myself, even to, to thought on, 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 on that picture of this ice cold snowstorm. Goosebumps. Sort of, yeah, goosebumps, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. goosebumps, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And so with those four deserts, you completed it in all of one year and became, what, the first German, the fastest female, is that right? Yeah, everything. Even in general, the first uh, person, the first woman to, to win all four in one year. No woman um, has, has done it before, yeah. And did that sort of, and say, so did that sort of propel the ideas going, because after that, you sort of, you'd done, completed this challenge of the four deserts. And did that sort of propel you into thinking of more bigger, grander ideas or? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I uh, found out that I, I maybe had a talent in running long distances, which I, I was not sure that I had it. And so I... I was looking into this um, calendar of ultra trail running races and I saw that there are a lot of races on all over the world. And, and then I, I looked and I, but it was quite hard to find something um, not to over, over the top, but to what is not similar, but a little bit different, but um, yeah, it was a little bit of a chaos. And then actually I started um, these bottom-up climbs project with two friends and uh, it, it was a little bit like when I met Gunnar this time it was uh, with a friend we were in the ski lift and he asked me do you want to come with me from the lowest to the highest point of Switzerland I said yes I come with you and I had no idea from where to where so sorry I live in Switzerland but uh, 
I knew that it may be the Lago Maggiore in, um, in, the, in, in the Canton Tessin. And, uh, but the highest point, maybe the Matterhorn, but it was the Dufour Spitze with 4,800 meters, something like this. And yeah, I said, yes, let's do it. And then it was so that um, my two friends, they did it with a bicycle because they are more cyclists. And I said, okay, I'm a runner. I found out and uh, I will do it uh, by my own feet. And then I did it in, in five days, actually, to run from the lowest to the highest point of Switzerland with 250 kilometers. Yeah, and 5,000 vertical meters, something like this. And yeah, and this was the start of the bottom-up climbs to go from the low, lowest to the highest point. And in that year after the Fort Desert, I also ran the Manaslu uh, trail race in the Himalaya. And oh, it was eight days and oh, maybe 16,000 vertical meters and 220 kilometers, something like this. And yeah, I, I was really into these uh, running virus from that point on, yeah. It was sort of the uh, adrenaline that you were sort of getting from these races or these challenges. Yeah, maybe adrenaline. Maybe it was the, um, yeah, to, to, to think that I can go all over the planet, planet and not as a tourist, um, more than an athlete to go from one race to another race and to explore culture, to explore places where I would normally not go to. Um, it was more the exploring thought more than the adrenaline, actually. Well, I mean, it was the, the driven force, yeah. But um, yeah, I, I really like to do new things. This is also because um, why I never did two races twice. So I always did something new to, because I thought, okay, there are so many races at very nice places. And um, as long as I want to do it and as long as I can do it, then I go into places and countries where, yeah, maybe I will never go again, something like this. Yeah, the sort of idea of using running as a way of experiencing the different countries, the different cultures. Is a, I think it's a really amazing way to sort of see different parts because you run through places probably which you otherwise would never have the chance of exploring. And by doing that, you discover so much more about the place and yourself and everything that sort of goes with it. Yeah, yeah, the culture of things and you, you, you see places and people and the people see you running and they think maybe, what is she doing here in my place? But it's so special and I, I always met nice people around there. And um, yeah, I'm really thankful for that, that I was able to do it. Did um, you, on your, on your sort of progression from not even a runner to suddenly doing these sort of epic challenges, did you have any sort of trouble? Because to sort of go from zero to a big runner, I must, it must have been quite a transition for your body. Did you have any issues in the sort of transition or not really? No, no, no. It was more that, that my body was reacting quite well. I, I, um, I was really surprised about this because, um, yeah, no, the general medicines, they, they tell you, ah, you have to be careful with your knees. You have to be careful with the hormone system as a woman. You have to be la, 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 la. I said, okay, but nothing happened to me. So I, I think my body can tolerate these distances. And 
Um, of course, sometimes I have pain here and there and I have to go and see my therapist. And, um, but um, I would say that I even uh, look at my body a little bit more serious than maybe the general uh, people and um, that I see when something is not right. And so the transition from, a, actually, I think I'm still a normal person, <laughs> um, but the transition to, to run long distances, um, it was, yeah, I, I think there was a force in myself. There was this, this, this power that wanted to come out and to run, just to run. <laughs> yeah. Because you've done, as you said, some of these amazing trips. One that sort of caught my eye, which I found fascinating was your world world record Kilimanjaro run which I I I have to admit slightly jealous there are sometimes on this podcast when people do something I'm like ah that's something I really would love to do yeah the Kilimanjaro it was yeah a very nice project actually and I this was part of these bottom-up climbs seven volcanic summits and we uh, with my two friends we we flew to to africa to tanzania and we first started at the sea level to cycle five days through the country to get to the bottom of the forest on the, of the of the kilimanjaro and then we just walked as normal tourists up 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 in four days on the kilimanjaro and um then i had two days uh for resting and um, yeah, I, I thought when I started this project, maybe it, it can be that I'm, I'm able to do it. And when I have the power, I will start and just try it. And I had really no good acclimatization. I was um, cycling five days with at least 350 kilometers through Africa. We came there and then we went up in four days. I was suffering a lot of the altitude. I'm not a good I'm not good in altitude, actually. It is uh, up to 4,000. I'm good, but then I really need to have time. And we had no time because we had a really, really um, tight schedule. But I felt quite good. And then in the morning, two days after I was on the top, I started totally alone <laughs> in these very, very black jungle. And <laughs> this was my biggest fear, actually. Uh, my friends were there at the start and they were cheering me. And then I was alone. And what, I was so afraid that I maybe will meet an animal or another person suddenly. And I was just my, my big headlamp with this good light. And I was just, just, just running, 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 running. And don't look left or right. <laughs> and then I was really happy when um, the sun came up and I, that my eyes were able to see everything and that my fantasy was not playing any tricks on me <laughs> anymore. Yeah. And, and then I ran up in, what was it? Eight hours, 32, something like this. Yeah, and I broke the, the former record with uh, three hours or, yeah. But when I came up to the top, I was really, because I was not definitely not acclimatized, um, I was suffering a lot. <laughs> uh, and I, every uh, 1,000 meters, there was a, a guide and he, he, he was waiting there for me to, to see if I'm okay. And he had some water and some bigger, warmer clothes for me. And then on the top, there was one waiting for me and I was so slow when I was coming up <laughs> and I was so slow going down until 
3,500 meters. And then I said to him, okay, now I can run again. <laughs> I was able to run until my friends were waiting for me. And yeah, very nice adventure. <laughs> People listening uh, will probably sort of wonder what sort of, what's the sort of feeling like when you're at the top of Kilimanjaro because you've run up, you in what's eight hours. And you're obviously suffering from altitude sickness. What's the sort of feeling that you're getting when you're up there? Did you have sort of time to sort of take in that you're at the top or were you like, right now I need to get down? Um, when I was on the top, I just thought I need to get down immediately. And um, I felt some headaches, some dizziness. I, yeah, I was... Um, I was not altitude sickness or sick, uh, but it was more, I, my mind said to me, okay, don't uh, waste too much time, just go down. And it is a, a big thing when, when, you, when you come up and realize that you have done it. I mean, the time, I was not watching on the time. I, I had my, 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 my Garmin and I, I started the Garmin, but I was not looking on it the whole time. I Actually, I never do it because it, it stresses me a little bit when I um, when I watch the watch it all the time. And um, so when I was on the top, I just pressed it and said, "Oh, <laughs> it's eight hours 35, 32 minutes." Okay, and then I realized, and then okay, let's go down. <laughs> yeah. And so when you got to the bottom, were there people there greeting you? Yeah, my friends were waiting there and all the guides, They because you you are not allowed to go on the Kilimanjaro without guides. And um, everybody was there with some um, Prosecco or champagne or what was it? I, I got some bubbling water, sparkling water. And, and uh, I got some blankets, traditional blankets and some flowers and yeah. And then we went back to the hotel and I, I was so tired. And I think I, I got some uh, fries or a pizza and two beers and it was just party. <laughs> yeah. I suppose that's the one good thing about sort of ultra running or ultra endurance running is that after you've done it, you can stuff your body with whatever you want. It's one of the guilty, guilt-free pleasures you can get in life. <laughs> yeah. This is, uh, this is really nice. And I'm a kind of person like this, this, I can suffer and I can force my body until a limit. And, but then when, when it's over, I say, okay, it's over now. Let's have the party, please. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And so from that, um, your plan is the seven summit volcanoes, which you've already done four and you've got three pending or four pending. Did you? Three, yeah. Three pending. And when's the plan to do these um, three volcanoes? Yeah, well, it's uh, at the moment with the COVID situation, it's not so easy to travel. And there's the one in Russia missing, the Mount Elbrus, which will be the next one because it's, um, yeah, it's easier, the easiest one of the three missing ones. And the next one would be the one in Papua New Guinea, uh, it's quite far away and uh, a very long trip. And the last one, I don't know if it will be possible, but it's the, in the Antarctic, in the in the coldest. Um, um, and it is really expensive. And I don't know if if it's still um, 
makeable, uh, yeah, with all this climate change in the world, if it's really necessary to fly there and to do something just of a private uh, project. But yeah, we will see. Maybe there will be a chance that we can fly with someone who is going there because it's really, really expensive. And um, then maybe we will get the chance when the chance is coming. Like, let me say it in that, in that way. But Russia, I would say it's possible. And the Mount Elbrus, it's, yeah, it's, it's calling actually. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's an interesting sort of topic that's sort of come more mainstream is traveling for pleasure. Um, and it's a sort of difficult one to sort of weigh up, especially when you're doing these sort of personal projects. Do you feel it's become a bit more of a topic with you? Um, yeah, well, it's this, I mean, these bottom-up climbs, these are actually quite quite nice for the environment because I, I never use any motor. I just do it by myself, by my own power. I, I cycle or I run, but I have to go in a special country to do it. And um, yeah, I mean, when I do it once a year, when I fly one time a year or one time in two years, then I think it's still okay for, for me. And um, yeah. It's a, it's a big question, <laughs> um, how we can save our planet. And I, I think I'm not uh, the person who is, um, yeah, who has, yeah, who can talk in a, in a good way about it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's sort of one of these. It's a very sensitive theme and, and everybody has to, to look on, on him or herself that how can I save water? How can I save uh, energy? How, what can I do for myself? And, um, yeah, and flying, of course, it's it's not so good. Taking the train would be better, but even to cycle would be the most, <laughs> the best thing. And um, yeah, but from time to time, it is good when you can go out in an airplane to another country yeah, to have an adventure, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And have this sort of experience and sort of just see a completely different part of the world to yours one of these wonderful challenges we face in the future <laughs> yeah yeah when it's a unique challenge when it's unique and it's quite good planned um yeah. yeah but i think there are a lot of people who are saying no no you can't go in an airplane anymore but yeah yeah the but a different different theme yeah <laughs> And with, um, with these trips, of course, your sports psychology has become sort of a huge part of it because, as you say, it's a lot of these sort of endurance things, it's more a mental sport than actually a physical because you, what I've found over the years of doing these is you can put yourself through so much more than you ever possibly imagined. Have you found that you've almost reached your limit, would you say? Or do you feel through the future you're going to keep pushing it, keep testing it? Uh, interesting question. Um, I, I would say that uh, in running, I, I haven't found my limit yet. I, I would say I, I, I can go further, further, further. And um, I would say when there would be a really need that I had, uh, that I would have to leave my home and to go for, I don't know, then I would say I, I would be able to, to walk or to run as far as I can go. But I haven't found my limit yet also in, in racing, unless I'm, I'm ill or if uh, there is an accident or something that, that stops me. 
but um, when there's no um, pain in the body, uh, well, it, actually there's a pain in the body, but when it's not um, so just a big pain, like that it's uh, ruin yourself or ruin a part of the body, then you can go. You can when you can't run, you go. When you can't go, then you walk. And when you can't walk, then you I don't know, you slow down, 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 down until you stop. Oh. And uh, the other thing is that um, with all these races and adventures, I, I learned that um, there is always a way. There always comes a way. And um, it is a little bit like this crisis thing. Uh, when there is a crisis, I know that the crisis can go. And I, I actually, my character is always, it was always a little bit like this. Let's try it out. And I'm, I'm not a person who says, um, is it possible? Oh, can, can I do it? When I feel that from the inside, this is this uh, inner power or this flow, what we call it, um, then, then it is possible. I don't know what is the outcome, but for sure I will try it. And I love to jump into the cold water. And then I think, oh, maybe I'm not in the right place here. Can I go back? And uh, yeah, something like this, yeah. There's a part of the show where we ask the same five questions to each guest each week. Uh, with the first being on these trips or expeditions, what's the one gadget that you always take with you? Music. I always make a playlist and I, I always make a playlist with songs I've never heard before. These are new songs and they remind me when I'm back and couple of years later when I hear this song I definitely know exactly where I was when I was listening to that song <laughs> so sort of in the Gobi Desert you have your song for that yeah and I can yeah. tell you when I listening to special songs that I was there that I was suffering and I was oh yeah <laughs> uh, that also in the Atacama Desert I I knew that uh, when I knew that after the fifth stage um one more was coming and i was at least one hour ahead of the second woman i knew that when everything is going on like this that i will win it and i was going through this tent uh, campsite and i was listening to a song and when i hear the song i i i'm back into this feeling i can tell you everything what it was there in detail so what was the uh what was the song when you were going through antarctica Whoa, Antarctica, I, I was listening to um, more or less the alternative uh, playlist um, with um, Snow Patrol and Bush and, uh, uh, and Block Party, Block Party, yeah. Oh, good, like good, choice, stuff, yeah. good choice, good choice. Yes, things like this, yeah. What is your favorite adventure or travel book? Uh, I never read. <laughs> <laughs> adventure and travel books <laughs> i i got a lot of books people uh gave it to me as a present but i i never ah no 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 i never read it because i want to to get in my own um experiences so when when someone says oh there's a book someone has written about that what you are doing i say okay thank you but i i want to be fresh when i go into a new adventure for myself but now I remember that, and it's quite a funny story. 
um, that I read a book about Helga Henge. Helga Henge is the first German who was on the Mount Everest in um, 1990. And uh, she was then doing uh, the seven summits. And I read a book, the first book from her, where she was writing about the, her experience and her adventure from the Mount Everest. And I read it in 2002. And in 2019, I met her here in my hometown just by chance because she was here with her new book and she was on a, on a uh, how can you say, on a travel, on a journey to present her new book. And I say, Helga, you are my star. <laughs> and, and she was, and since that we are, we are good friends. Yeah, yeah, this is the story about <laughs> adventure books. <laughs> um, what about your favorite quote? Quote? Ah, oh. <laughs> oh, there are a lot, actually. Um, mm, mm, this is maybe from, uh, from uh, Pippi Langstrumpf. You know her, this little girl from the book from Astrid Lindgren, the, the strongest girl on the world. I don't, unfortunately. Ah, uh, Astrid Lindgren, she's a, a writer uh, and uh, she wrote lovely uh, books for, for, for children. And uh, Pippi Langstrumpf, she's the strongest girl on the world. And she says, um, uh, how can I translate it? Um, we, we haven't done this before and uh, therefore it will go quite well. Is it right translated? I don't know. Das haben wir so noch nie gemacht, also geht es sicher gut. So it means like we haven't done this before, so the output can only be positive. Okay, good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, why, why are these adventures important to you? because I love to explore. I love to do new things. I love to put myself into situations where I've never been before. I, yeah, I, I really like to, to, to see how I react, how, how I can adapt to new situations. And yeah, this is actually my force. People listening are always keen to sort of travel and go on these sort of expeditions like yourself. What's the one thing you would recommend to them? to sort of get started? To go to do something like, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think I said it before, you have to really want to do it. You have to really feel joy and passion and this flame of enthusiasm to do something what gives you positive energy and where you can feel that it comes out of you. So don't do anything what someone is telling you. You have to do it. You have to go there. You have to do this. Um, I think it's, um, yeah, you, you really have to find your own thing and your own project. And um, it, it not, must not have been um, that it's always uh, faster or bigger or something more than someone has done it. Just create your own project that where you go out of your comfort zone and um, yeah, this I would recommend that you find your way and you're this, the kind like you want to do it, like you want to cycle, you want to walk, you want to go in a, in a boat, you want to, I don't know, to go with a parachute somewhere. You have to find something where you feel quite grounded. 
Yeah, I suppose uh, with these and like having spoken to a lot of people on the podcast, it's it's about knowing your why. And by having that and having a strong why means that you can sort of push yourself further and you can tolerate some of these hardships that you go through. Yeah. And I would say it is, um, I mean, you need to have an objective. Um, without an objective, you, you don't know uh, rather you, you have reached it or not. But um, I, I think it's really important also that you have um, part-time objectives, uh, that you are not disappointed when you, you are not able to reach the big goal. And um, yeah, I think this is also very important. Mm. Um, finally, Nat, what are you doing now and how can people follow your journey in the future? Oh, well, I'm, I'm on Facebook or on Instagram. I'm, sometimes I'm doing uh, little videos here from my home t- hometown. I call them Hello from Switzerland. And um, there's a kind of funny little videos. And um, yeah, I, I hope that I can go on with my uh, bottom-up climbs. Um, I, yeah, since COVID, I have done only little things. Um, uh, yeah, and, and, and in this year, I, I want to go from um, maybe from in Greece, from the sea level to the Olymp, to the highest uh, mountain of, of Greece. Um, yeah, you can, you can follow me on the social media. And sometimes I'm writing my blog. Um, yeah, things are coming. Um, but I, I like to be more outside than writing and typing something. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, wow. Well, it's been such a pleasure listening to your stories and I cannot thank you enough for coming on today. Thank you. It was really a nice talk. It was uh, different to, to other ones. Yeah. Very good questions. Uh, thank you. Well, I mean, it's really interesting because I, I think the sort of your head and your sort of psychology of it and sort of being able to cope putting yourself through those sort of tough situations are hugely important and thank you so much for sort of sharing that advice to the listeners and everything i'll remember it next time i'm out <laughs> yeah <laughs> thank you it's just coming out i mean yeah i'm 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 talking a lot about these things because people ask me always but um yeah your questions were a little bit different yeah yeah it was nice yeah huh. not the standard ones yeah, <laughs> yeah. well yeah. thank you so much again Yeah, thank you, John. Thank you for listening. You can watch the podcast on YouTube now and don't forget to subscribe and review the podcast if you're listening on Apple. I hope to see you next week for another fascinating tale of adventure. But till then, have a great day and happy adventures.